Well, good evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. I'd like a couple of you, if you're willing, to lead out in prayer, maybe, uh, for a couple of things here. Uh, right now, tonight, uh, James Rasmussen is hurting. He's in quite a bit of pain. He's got a kidney stone. They can't do anything for him until Friday. So uh, let's pray for him. He's in a lot of pain. And also, Derek Stott, he's been in the hospital for a week or so here, and they are transferring him uh, right at 6.30. They're transferring him over to Omaha to a, a um, rehab place. Uh, what do you call it? Emerald Nursing Home, something like that. So uh, somebody want to pray for those two gentlemen? Okay, John, and uh, one more thing. Uh, Kent, you want to pray for Ukraine, our brothers and sisters over there, uh, just for grace as they're fleeing, many of them. I'm going to bring one of them up tonight, helping Jews to escape. And uh, so they certainly need our prayers. Uh, you know, we see this night and day. But uh, why don't you go ahead, John, Kent, and then I'll, I'll follow up. Hmm. Yes, Lord, and we thank you for the uh, privilege we have to assemble here tonight to pray together, uh, to study the word together. And uh, thank you for all the meetings that are ongoing, uh, the Awana ministry, youth group, as well as our time together here. So, Lord, bless as we get into the word now as we consider this uh, important text in the book of Philippians chapter 4. We pray that uh, you would guide us and direct us in our understanding and uh, encourage us and, and strengthen us uh, in our walk with you as we uh, consider the text this evening. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, we are in Philippians chapter 4 tonight, and we are looking at verses uh, 4 through 7. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And I've entitled this, uh, or entitled, I've titled this, uh, The Essence of Spiritual Stability. And uh, as you, uh, let me grab my remote. We note uh, the theme is rejoice in the Lord. We have worked our way through a tremendous emphasis on rejoicing in Christ all the way through. We come to uh, Christ our sufficiency as we get into uh, chapter 4. Now, as we uh, are working our way through chapter 4, we note how chapter 3 ended, right? Chapter divisions came later, right? They weren't inspired. 
So uh, note chapter 3, at the very end there, in verse 20, he talks about our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. And so that thought kind of leads us in to chapter 4. In light of that eternal perspective, looking for Christ to come, and ultimately where it leads to as far as being conformed, Uh, to the image of Christ. That leads into chapter 4 where he says, Therefore, my beloved uh, and long for, brethren, uh, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord. This this is the real emphasis here. Stand fast in the Lord that really governs the rest of the chapter here, uh, chapter 4. And we have components of what it means to to, uh, stand fast in the Lord, to be stable, to stand fast in the Lord We have uh, components of this in our study here tonight. So uh, jumping ahead just a little bit, but as far as the overview here, uh, stand fast in the Lord. So I say that that idea in verse 1 kind of governs the rest of the chapter. Uh, Emphasis on Christ-like unity. We saw in verses 2 and 3. Tonight, rejoicing is a way of life. Gentleness is a way of life. Living by prayer, not by worry. Thinking properly and then practicing what Paul taught, and then contentment. So these themes kind of relate to this whole issue of what it means to stand fast in the Lord. All right, uh, we want to pick it up here now at uh, verse 4. And uh, somebody want to read that? Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Short little verse. Yeah, Levita. Okay, so again, uh, the theme of the book is rejoice, and uh, we have the key verse right here. Sixteen times we have the word rejoice in the book of Philippians, and uh, it is a present imperative, which means it's a command, which means it's an act of the will. What if you don't feel like rejoicing? (laughs) Too bad. (laughs) Yeah, uh, you know, feelings kind of need to be the caboose here, right? And uh, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Uh, you're not always going to be happy. You know, there's lament psalms too, right? Uh, in fact, one of the things we probably don't do enough of is God's people's focus on there is a place for lament. And, uh, you know, it's not all, not all roses here in terms of, you know, fun and, uh, fun and enjoyment. But, uh, yeah, present tense uh, imperative. It's, it's a command which tells us this is of the will. You can decide whether you're going to rejoice in the Lord or not. Uh, it, it, it's a command to do so. And it's to be a, an attitude that governs our entire life. Uh, the idea of joy or rejoice is to delight yourself in God. To delight yourself in God. It, it, it's that idea. Um, let me read here. <clears throat> we cannot always delight in circumstances, surroundings, or people, but we can always rejoice in the Lord. <clears throat> When trying and difficult times come, we cannot rejoice in the trial itself necessarily, but we can rejoice in the fact that God is using it for his glory in our lives in ways that we can't understand. So there's always some reason to rejoice. And the context here is that he has just mentioned what? You know, there's always a context and a flow of thought. Uh, Look back to verse 3. He's talking about those whose names are in the book of life. We certainly can always rejoice as believers. If your name's written down in the book of life, I don't care how bad things get, there's still good news. You still have reason for joy. Uh, your name is written down in the book of life. 
What was Paul's context here as he's writing the book? Was he living? What's that? He's in prison. Yeah, under house arrest. So he's writing this uh, from that perspective. Rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, Don't ever lose sight of your relationship with God. Don't ever lose sight of the promises of God uh, and all that we have in him. There's always reason to rejoice in the Lord. If your focus is the Lord, there's always something uh, to rejoice in. And for emphasis, he says, and again, I say, rejoice. Whenever something's repeated, it's, it's for emphasis, and so it is here as well. I don't think it's uh, natural or normal to uh, rejoice uh, all the time. That's why we have to be commanded. We have to realize, hey, I make a decision here. Uh, what am I going to do with this situation? Am I going to rejoice in the Lord here? Am I going to whine about it? Uh, what, what is my attitude going to be? And I think we also uh, need reinforcement here because we easily get distracted, don't we? It's easy to get distracted from the joy that we have in in the Lord. It's easy to lose our focus and go from joy to something else. And so there's there's a strong emphasis that's repeated here in this verse. By the way, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, yeah. Um, But... You know, again, we're told about the fruit of the Spirit, but then we're told to walk in the Spirit. Uh, You have to walk in the good of it. Uh, You know, you can potentially walk contrary to the Spirit. And uh, so we want to be in harmony with the Spirit. Okay, uh, my next slide here. In the immediate context, this emphasis on joy is in contrast to the discord and personal conflict described in verses Two and three. Remember, we spent all that time last, those two women who are having a hard time getting along? Uh, Right in that immediate context, we have now the the follow up emphasis on joy. If people are really focused on and really rejoicing in the Lord, that perspective carries over into all their interpersonal relationships. Someone rejoicing in the Lord is not wrapped up in selfish pride or petty strife, but rather is a joy to be around. The whole perspective is affected. I think that's true. Uh, If we really have the joy of the Lord, it will be a refreshing thing for all of those around us. Uh, This is a story. I don't know if it's true, but it's a neat little story. The story is told of two crusty old gold prospectors who spent years searching for gold with little success. But one day, Eureka! They struck gold. Immediately, they swore an oath of secrecy to each other, realizing that uh, they need to go back to town for more supplies etc. After buying the needed supplies, they headed back to their mine, only to find out that a whole crowd of people were following them. Why are you following, they asked. Who told you we had found gold? The response came back was, oh, no one told us. We could tell by the joy written all over your faces. (laughs) You know, I think we should live those kind of lives, uh, the joy of the Lord. There's all kinds of things that want to get in the way of our joy, Uh, People, circumstances, trials, difficulties, all kinds of things. But uh, Paul's emphasis, hey, rejoice in the Lord. It's a command. uh, And again, I say rejoice. All right, any other thoughts as we uh, wrap up verse 4 there? Okay, let's have somebody read verse uh, 5. Another little verse. Yeah, Dave? Okay, Uh, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. 
you know, you hear about being a gentleman. Uh, you know, okay. What does this mean here when it talks about gentleness? Uh, my next slide here kind of tells us a little bit about it. The Greek word translated gentleness is a very rich word. No single English word really fully expresses it. It contains the ideas of reasonableness, forbearance, friendly disposition, willing to yield, refusal to retaliate, kindness, consideration, being courteous, fair-minded. Well, that's a pretty extended definition, isn't it? Perhaps the best single English word that comes closest to the sense of it is graciousness. Graciousness. And I want to add to that Christ-like graciousness. Uh, In fact, the only other place we really have this exact word used, I, I think this is true, if I remember right from my study, is in 2 Corinthians 10.1, where uh, it says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold uh, toward you. So, you know, there's a spirit, there's a tone there that is being brought out here. We want to be Christ-like in our graciousness, Christ-like in our disposition. Uh, the opposite of this might be harsh, uh, you know, not gracious, not sensitive. And so, uh, you know, Paul had earlier said in chapter 2, do all things without complaining and disputing. This goes along with that. Let your gentleness be uh, known to all men. And again, remember, he's coming off of it, just kind of rebuking these two women who are having a hard time getting along in the church. Uh, Be gentle. Be be gracious. And it should be known to all men. I know sometimes people are kind of fighting Christians and and they they, they think they're really serious and sometimes their whole tone uh, is kind of not gentle. Not gentle. Doesn't come off too Christ-like. They're conviction. they got deep convictions, all right. And we want to have those convictions without compromise. But we want to be gracious. We want to be gracious. And that's what he says. Let your graciousness, let your gentleness be known to all men. Uh, let, your shine, uh, let your light shine. Uh, you say, well, we should be this way towards Christians, but those crazy worldlings out here, you know, we need to really let them have both barrels. Uh, no, I think our gentleness should shine on them as well. In fact, I think it really shines brightly uh, when we're being uh, abused especially for the sake of Christ, and we respond with the fruit of the Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Let your gentleness be known to all men. And then he says, the Lord is at hand. I think the sense here is the Lord's coming is at hand. It's been imminent for all these years. Down through the church age, we've been waiting for Christ to come. It's been the hope of the church that he'll come in our lifetime. And he may come in our lifetime. We, we don't know. We don't know when Christ is going to come. But he's ever at hand, meaning it's imminent. It could happen at, in, at any time. Um, Paul has just finished the climax of chapter 3 by saying that believers are citizens of heaven who are eagerly waiting the coming of Jesus. And the therefore of chapter 4 verse 1 ties all he is saying back to that key idea, I believe, so knowing that the coming of the Lord is imminent affects the way you live. It's, it, at least it should. It's, it's a major motivation to live properly, to live graciously. Instead of fighting, feuding, and fussing, do we really want to be whisked away in the rapture in the middle of a nasty squabble in which we are being anything but gracious? I think not. I don't know about you, but I don't, I, I don't really want to go out in that, in that fashion. Uh, it's interesting, the context here. Let your graciousness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Uh, The Lord is coming. 
And so a great reminder there. Uh, this too, uh, the watchword. Uh, it is thought that this phrase, the Lord is at hand, may have been a sort of watchword in the early church by which uh, they encouraged each other to constant vigilance. The Aramaic equivalent was Maranatha, uh, meaning our Lord comes. It reminds us that his coming is imminent and that we are accountable for how we are living. We want to, uh, we want to be caught up living properly, living graciously as a way of life. Uh, I think that's really what's in view here. Uh, he's talking about uh, what does it mean to stand fast? Well, one of the things it means is there's biblical unity. We're getting along with each other. Uh, it means we're rejoicing as a way of life. It means that we are gracious with one another as, as a way of life. And uh, just as a kind of a footnote here, uh, note the Lord is at hand. He doesn't say the tribulation's at hand, right? He, he doesn't say the Antichrist is at hand. Uh, he doesn't even say Gog and Magog's at hand. <laughs> The Lord is at hand. Uh, I mean, what we are looking for is, uh, you don't even say the undertaker's at hand. You know, we're really kind of looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. But uh, we are looking for the Lord. Uh, this is our blessed hope. And uh, constantly, the early church was looking for the Lord to come. They were expecting the Lord to come imminently. They were expecting the Lord to come in their lifetime. And I think we should be living that way too. We should live ready, as I often say, as a way of life. And I think that's brought out here. The Lord is at hand. Uh, the Lord's coming is imminent. We don't know when he's coming, but we are to live ready. All right. Any other thoughts there? Okay. Very good. Let's have somebody read verses six and seven. Who wants to read that verses? Yeah, Jeff. Love these verses, or some favorite memory verses. And uh, he starts out here, uh, again, what does it mean to uh, stand fast, uh, to be spiritually stable? Well, the emphasis here, be anxious for nothing. Uh, the word anxious is the idea be of worry, sinful worry. Uh, and, and that's the idea when we're, when we're worrying, we're not trusting in the Lord like we should be. He says, don't, don't be anxious. Be anxious for, for nothing. Uh, this is uh, how we should be responding to life. Now, there is a place for proper concern. That's for sure. Um, note this. This is interesting. Uh, the exact nuance of words are often understood by the context in which they are used. The word anxious here in context means worry. Uh, when we uh, sinfully worry about something, we are not trusting God. There is a place, however, for proper concern. Paul used this same word in chapter 2, verse 20, to speak of care for. We're showing concern for the Philippians. However, here in 4, 6, the idea is sinful worry. So note that we are commanded not to sinfully worry about anything, but there is a place for proper concern. So, you know, <laughs> say, are, you, are you worried? No, I'm just concerned. Uh, and and there, is a, there is a place for concern. Uh, you know, um, yeah, a lot of things come up in life that concern us. But I think there's a, a line that we cross over where we are being anxious. We are sinfully worrying about it. And so we're not to be, uh, we're not to be anxious. Uh, the word anxious is the idea of having a divided mind. And uh, it's uh, fretfulness. 
uh, over not looking to God because we're not looking to God properly as we should be doing. Be anxious for nothing. This tells us there are going to be pressures. There are going to be things that are going to come and, and challenge us to be anxious. And so he says, uh, be anxious uh, for nothing. This is how we are to handle the pressures of life. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. In everything by prayer. Um, every situation, uh, everything that comes along, we ought to handle it with prayer. Uh, we have a prayer meeting, right? Uh, everything is to be handled with prayer. And nothing is too small or too great uh, as far as handling it with prayer. And four terms are here used in relation to prayer. Uh, it begins with everything in prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Uh, the word prayer is a general word. Uh, what is prayer? Yeah, it's talking to God. So we have a very general uh, statement here. Uh, handle everything by talking to God. Talk to God about it. Uh, whatever, whatever is tempting you to cause you to be anxious, talk to God about it. You got problem people, talk to God about them. Uh, you got circumstances that are trying, talk to God about it. Uh, whatever we're going through, uh, we ought to be talking to God uh, constantly. Uh, prayer expresses our dependence upon God and that we need Him. Uh, whatever we're going through, whatever is a source of potential uh, anxiety. I love this verse out of Psalm 62. It says, Trust in Him at all times, you, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Isn't that great? Trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart before Him. You know, sometimes we need those sessions. We're tempted to be anxious about something. We just need to have a session with God where we pour out our, our soul uh, to God. In everything, uh, whatever it is that's causing us to be anxious, doesn't matter what it is, uh, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. And then he says, and supplication, and supplication. Supplication is a specific kind of prayer. We've got the general word for prayer, prayer, talking to God generally, all kinds of situations. But supplication is a, is a specific kind of prayer. Uh, it refers to intense pleadings about specific needs. Uh, supplications are intense. And uh, it, it relates to specific pleadings. Uh, about uh, certain needs. It's a desperate cry. Uh, it's kind of like what the Ukrainian brothers and sisters are praying right now. Uh, that's supplication. Uh, that's intense, uh, desperate uh, type of pleading before the Lord. And how wonderful it is, the Bible says, that we can cast all of our cares upon Him because He cares for us. Uh, where we find that verse, by the way? Well, it's in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. And who does Peter write to? Well, he writes to the suffering saints. And so, casting all your care, suffering saints, upon him because he cares for you. He does care. Whatever we're going through and how wonderful it is, we can cast it upon him. Uh, we can bring our supplications uh, to him, uh, those intense pleadings about specific things that we're going through. And then he says, uh, with thanksgiving, there should always be an element of thanksgiving in our prayers. Um, an attitude of gratitude. There's always something to be thankful for, right? Can you think of things we can always be thankful for? Salvation. Anything else? 
Well, if you're limited to that, that's, that's not bad. I mean, that's good. <laughs> At least I'm saved. Uh, you know, I think all the promises of God, the Word of God, the people of God, the grace of God, um, God's ministry in ways we don't even see as the angels are ministering to those who shall be the heirs, on and on and on and on and on we could go. But there's always something uh, to be thankful for. And there's a tremendous emphasis in the New Testament on, on the believer being thankful. We are to be a thankful people, not whiners. First uh, Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I mean, we are called to be a thankful people in everything. Uh, Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is uh, the context of Ephesians 5.20? What's it flow out of? What's the emphasis that it flows out of? Be filled with the Spirit. I think being filled with the Spirit demonstrates itself in thankfulness. And so uh, this element of thanksgiving is to be reflected in our, in, our, uh, in our prayer life, whatever we're going through. And then he says, uh, let your requests be made known to God. Again, requests is specific petitions, uh, specific things you're asking God to do. So we see here um, prayer, general. We see supplications, pleadings, we see thanksgiving, gratefulness, and we see requests, specific petitions. All of this, uh, let your requests be made known to God. And again, prayer is talking to God. We're bringing this to God. And we as believers have direct access to God. How wonderful it is. Uh, we, we can make it known to God. And, we, and He hears our prayers. We come in Jesus' name and we have access uh, to God through Jesus. We love this promise in James chapter 5, verse 16. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Uh, God has chosen to work through prayer. You know, prayer is not really our idea. It's God's idea. And this is how we uh, relate to God. God speaks to us through the word and we speak to God in prayer. And uh, God works through prayer. And uh, in ways we don't always uh, understand. Well, praise the Lord that we have the privilege to pray. What about unbelievers? Do they have a prayer? What, what is it? Well, before that. Do they have a prayer before that as unbelievers? Yeah, I agree. That's the first one, I think. But what about before that? I would say no. What's the problem? They have no great high priest. Uh, Jesus Christ is always there to make intercession for us, but they, they don't have that. They don't have a connection with heaven because they don't know Jesus, the one mediator. There, there is no access to God other than through Jesus Christ. So if you don't know Jesus, you don't have access. You don't have a prayer. Like we say, the first prayer that God hears, hears is when you call on the name of the Lord. Uh, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So without, without that, you know, you're going through the motions, but it, you don't really have a prayer, not, not in the biblical sense of the word. So note here, unbelievers don't have a prayer because they don't have access through Jesus, the high priest. The first prayer that has access to God is a prayer of faith that calls on the name of the Lord for salvation. Because at that instant, the person is believing only believers have the privilege of prayer and is a key to our spiritual well-being. 
This is for us in Hebrews 4.16. And this is in the context of emphasizing Christ as our great high priest, by the way, in Hebrews. Uh, Let us, that's believers, therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we as believers may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Um, These are, this is another cause for rejoicing. We have the privilege to pray and to see God work. Uh, We should... uh, Be anxious for nothing, prayerful in everything, and thankful for anything, right? Indeed, that's true. All right, Uh, any other thoughts before we finish out verse 7? Yeah, okay, let's go. We'll start over here, Bill, and then we'll work our way this way. (laughs) No. Right. Well, are we making a differentiation between repentance and faith? Okay, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I don't. I don't want to really do that because I think in true repentance is real faith, and where there's real faith, there's real repentance, and so I'm going to want to combine those two. Um, I do think, you know, as, as a person is in the process, whatever is involved there, you know, God is mercifully at work in that whole process here. But um, until you have Jesus, you don't have him, right? You're either one side of the line or the other. And so as far as, um, you know, even how Christ said to Thomas, you know, as far as the principle, uh, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, I, I think the only means of access on any level is, is through Jesus Christ. Michael? That is a great question. Um, my answer would be it kind of all depends on what the root source of the problem is. Are we really talking a physiological problem? Are we talking a spiritual problem here? And sometimes it's hard to know, in all honesty. Uh, you know, what is the source of the problem here? So it gets pretty complicated, but I would say, you know, and there, there are physical issues that people have for, for whatever reason chemical imbalance, you know, all kinds of things we could talk about. And I wouldn't deny that. Uh, but um, I would say as far as the spiritual end of it, 
If we're talking a spiritual problem, Jesus Christ is 100% the answer. I always say, if you've got a physical problem, see a physical doctor. You've got a spiritual problem, see the spiritual doctor. And of course, he's the great physician over it all. But, um, you know, it's complicated in some ways. Amen. And, and that I would follow up on. I would think there's a huge amount of the time. And again, I'm not God. You get into the inner workings of the soul and the spirit, like it talks about in Hebrews, that, that fine line is dividing things. But I do think generally the whole mindset here is very quick to run to the world for what the world solutions are, to drugs or whatever, to psychotherapy, whatever, uh, yoga, whatever, <laughs> you know, instead of really uh, applying the medicine of Scripture. And what God tells us here. So I do think that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's true, and it's true, and, and I think that that is the emphasis of Scripture. I leave a little room for what I said earlier, in, and, and I think the Lord humbled me a few years back. I was, I was taking some, uh, some meds, and I got out of whack, and, and I never had a panic attack in my life, but I had some panic attacks. I could not understand it. And, and it was just like nothing else I'd ever experienced in my life. As soon as I quit taking those medications, there was no problem. So, you know, it can mess with, different things can mess with you medically in ways that, I mean, that made a believer out of me. It's like, what in the world is going on here? I couldn't understand it. It's just irrational. Uh, never had an experience like that before or after. But in that situation, having to be some home remedy stuff I was taking, it was really good for me. <laughs> All right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amen, brother. That's right. Amen. Amen. Well said. That's for sure. Amen. Well, having had this huge emphasis on prayer, you know, the four facets of it here, right? Uh, he now comes to verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Wow. Uh, prayer yields peace. That's the emphasis here. Uh, and the source is God, the peace of God. This is the peace that comes from God. This is God's kind of peace. I was uh, reading this letter today. It came from uh, Friends of Israel. 
And uh, they said, uh, one of our workers in Ukraine is putting her life in danger to transport Jewish families and help them cross land borders into neighboring countries. Uh, This is uh, Jim Showers writing, and he says, she emailed me saying, I need your prayers a lot. At the first day of war, I cried, but today I have his comfort. I call on the name of God and and seek my protection in him. Uh, When I read that, I thought of what I was studying here as far as... We pray, and then God gives peace. Did you catch what she said? Uh, I, the first day I cried, but today I have his comfort. Uh, well, that's, that's some kind of supernatural power there, and uh, praise the Lord for that. The peace of God. What kind of peace does God have? Shalom. <laughs> Shalom. Yes. Well, perfect peace. That's right. Is he ever rattled about anything? God get a little nervous? A little concerned right now about what's going on in the world. He's a little, got a few little tremors going. No, no. God has, God has perfect peace all the time. And uh, we can share in that peace as his people. Um, God has never rattled. And this is the disposition of God. And uh, so we are to give God our, our prayers. Uh, bring everything to him. Whatever, whatever it is. All kinds of different prayers. And then he gives us his peace. Two kinds of peace when we think about God. There's uh, peace with God and there's a peace of God. Uh, what's the peace uh, with God have to do with? Salvation. Salvation. Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the peace of God that we're talking about here that relates to our experience. I mean, you can have peace uh, with God, have a right relationship with God, and yet not be experiencing his peace in your experience. This relates to our experience, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. What does that mean? It surpasses all understanding. (laughs) You don't understand it. (laughs) Well, you know, I think that's the point. It is supernatural. It goes beyond our natural understanding. Uh, because it is supernatural. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. How does this woman who's running for her life say all of a sudden, well, I feel his comfort? Uh, there's a supernatural reality that comes with prayer. We can't explain it, but it is real. And uh, it, it does work. Prayer really works. And God works supernaturally through prayer. Tremendous verses here in uh, Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Uh, What a a key verse as far as uh, how do we have peace? Well, we keep our mind on God. We keep focused on him. And Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. What kind of peace does the world give? (laughs) Yeah, well, they may medicate you. Uh, Circumstances, right? When everything's going well. Uh, your bank account's looking well. You're in good health. And, and uh, uh, you know, everything's just really looking good. There's a little bit of, oh, I just feel pretty good about this. But it doesn't last. It's, it's, uh, you can't count on anything. But Christ says, this isn't how I, my peace is. Not that way. Uh, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Back up earlier in the chapter, and he began, uh, you know, chapter 14 that way as well. Uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is the antidote. Uh, and Christ then, as we believe in him, gives us his peace. It surpasses all understanding, and he says it will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
the word guard is a military term, like a soldier who's standing watch, who's standing guard. And this uh, supernatural reality is a guard for your hearts and minds. It, it protects you. Paul's use of this terminology shows that the mind is a battle zone. It needs to be protected. The idea here is essentially preventative. The way we prevent and keep from falling into worry is to be constantly praying. Sometimes we pray in worship or talking to God in general. Sometimes in crisis, bringing urgent pleading requests to God. Sometimes bringing very specific requests to God. But in all cases, coming with thanksgiving. The result is that our hearts and minds will be guarded with God's peace. What a wonderful promise here. Pour out your soul to God and see what he doesn't do for you as far as giving you his, his supernatural peace. That's, that's the promise we have here. Uh, William MacDonald, what a needed tonic it is. Then in this day of neurosis, nervous breakdowns, tranquilizers, and mental distress. Uh, yeah, what's the Bible answer here? Well, this is it right here. We'll guard your hearts and minds. Uh, hearts is the idea of, of your, your core inner being. Uh, It's the place of the will, the emotions, the conscience, choices, the mind, uh, and there's overlap here. Uh, Sometimes the Bible says heart, sometimes it says mind, and here it says hearts and minds. In other words, it's a way of saying the whole spiritual being of a person. When we think of our minds in particular, we think of the intellect, right? Yes, (laughs) we do. Uh, Our thinking, our thought life. Uh, so again, uh, the emotions, the heart, uh, the, the thinking, uh, the mind, the, the whole of our spiritual being is guarded in this process through Christ Jesus. Again, he's the, he's the source. And if people don't have Jesus, they don't have a prayer, and they don't have peace. And so how do we cope with all that we're going through? Well, for us as believers, this is a great prescription. Uh, yes, we are going to struggle. Uh, you know, he says, be anxious for nothing, telling us that there is going to be things that would tempt us to anxiety. But uh, what, what's the answer here? Um, a few slides to finish us out here tonight. Many people want God's joy and peace, but they don't really want Jesus. Uh, they want life enhancement, but not Jesus. They want joy and peace, but not on God's terms. Uh, You see, these verses promising these things are not in a vacuum. There's a context and a packaging view that is epitomized in the Apostle Paul as seen in 4.9. We're not going to get to tonight, but he says there, if you jump down with me to verse 9, these things which you learned and received and heard and saw me do, and the God of peace will be with you. So, in other words, there's there's a package here. Uh, Paul was characterized by what? Note these emphases throughout the book, single-minded commitment, chapter 1. For to me to live is Christ. Uh, Servant-minded humility in chapter 2. Sanctification-minded, pressing on, chapter 3, one thing I do. And then stable-minded disciplines in chapter 4 that we have been talking about here. These things uh, describe the Apostle Paul. Now, uh, some people want to jump right to chapter 4 and single out a verse or two and claim it, but have no intention of living out the rest of it. It doesn't work that way. This is a package. They live like the devil, get in trouble, and then pray a little prayer and expect God's peace. It doesn't work that way. There's a whole way of life involved. Uh, 
chapter 4, verse 9. It's illustrating the life of Paul. And those who are, are diligent to following God's ways, as illustrated by Paul, will reap the benefits of such a walk. Well, in context, uh, we have in our study here tonight three major pieces of the puzzle related to the sanctified life. And if we live this out consistently, uh, we will know God's peace, His blessing upon our lives. Joyfully stay focused on the Lord. That was the first emphasis. Number two, be gracious to all. The Lord is coming. Be gracious to everybody. And number three, handle life with, with prayer. Uh, you won't find a better antidote than this, than coping with the, the challenges, the struggles of life. Uh, it's right there. Uh, John Fletcher was a contemporary of John Wesley, and he used to greet his friends, uh, his Christian friends, in this way. Do I meet you praying? Isn't that a great way to greet somebody? <laughs> what do you think they all said? Well, of course you find me praying. <laughs> Hope they weren't lying, you know. Uh, but do I find you praying? Uh, do I meet you praying? Uh, what, what a great question. And I think if it's true, then we can also be singing, right? It is well with my soul. All right. Any other thoughts as we wrap up here? Okay. Let's share some prayer requests. Uh, everybody need, anybody need a prayer sheet? <laughs>